Welcome back. Welcome back to Radio Islam. This is your host, Tariq el and we're broadcasting on WCEV 1450 AM. We're also streaming at WCEV1450.com. Remember to keep up with us on social media. You'll find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Radio Islam USA. And also take a moment to subscribe to the podcast. You will find us on SoundCloud, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, and TuneIn. Might be leaving some other uh, spots out, but basically you're going to find us wherever you get your podcast at. And you will do so by looking for us at Radio Islam USA. Subscribe, rate, and review. We love to hear from you. And also feel free to always drop us a line at producer at radioislam.com. We're always interested in what you have to say. All right, family, uh, moving our program along. Want to talk a bit about the Rohingya. Uh, They are an ethnic minority of Burma, which is a majority Buddhist country. And the majority of Rohingya are Muslim, the vast majority of them. Uh, There's a minority that is also Hindu, but as I said, the majority are Muslim. Now, under the 1982 Myanmar nationality law, their citizenship was taken from them, in effect turning them into a stateless people. In 2013, the United Nations described the Rohingya as one of the most persecuted minorities in the world. Now, before the 2016-2017 military-led genocide, uh, some have termed it ethnic cleansing or incursion or crackdown uh, of the Rohingya began, there were over a million Rohingya living in Burma. Now, since that time, over 7,000 of their villages have been burnt or razed to the ground. Reports of extrajudicial killings, torture, and rape have continued to be made. And a consistent call for the United Nations to pronounce these atrocities a genocide. Those continue as over a million Rohingya are now living in the world's largest refugee camp in Bangladesh. Joining us on the phone is Ruma Ruma, a 17-year-old high school student whose family immigrated from the refugee camp to Canada when she was six years old. Assalamu alaikum. So uh, it's good to have you on the program. And I would like to, I guess, first kind of start out by asking, being uh, so young, uh, what do you remember of that experience of being in the refugee camp? Is that something that has stayed with you that, um, that you know, that, that has become kind of a part of your early recollections? When I was young and back in the refugee camps, the thing that hit me really hard was that no matter how much hardship the Rohingya people went through, they always had faith. They never once complained. Um, when, like, people, for example, that, like, when I see, when I was younger, when I saw, like, foreign people sometimes, like, uh, on TV and stuff, and um, uh, when uh, my parents ask, oh, I wish they would just come here and interview the Rohingya people and then just like get to know about us. Like they're not going to ask them, oh, give me some money, give me all this and stuff. Like they're just really faithful, like to other people that's like trying to help them and all that. Mm. So there was a there was a sense of uh, of optimism, uh, definitely of of patience uh, that exists among the uh, Rohingya people, you would say. Okay. All right. Uh, can you tell us about um, because you immigrated, you know, with your family in 2007? Uh, what has your life been like in Canada? Um, do you do you feel? I, I would assume that you feel an an, uh, an identity also as a Canadian, even though 
the immigration was not one that probably would have would have taken place, obviously, um, had situations been different. But do you see yourself as kind of a uh, there is there a dual identity uh, that you see for yourself? For me, like since I came to Canada when I was really when I was really young, mm-hmm. I feel more Canadian than Rohingya because I've been adapted to the Canadian world since I'm like I grew up here. Mm-hmm. But like at home, it's like more of a Rohingya instead of Canadian because my grandma she speaks um, she doesn't speak English, so like we go the Rohingya style where it's like we speak Rohingya with them from her. We learn a lot so that we don't forget our mother tongue. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, when uh, like uh, coming to Canada was actually like it, may, it, it have hit it harder on my parents because since they've grown up in um, Burma and Bangladesh, like they haven't adapted to the Canadian style yet. So they're like always wondering, oh, like don't pack, uh, don't unpack your stuff because we might have to flee again. Like it's that sort of fear they like sometimes have still. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, so the adjustment for you because you were so young has been uh, much, much different and probably not as, not as stressful as it has been for, uh, for older people, like, you know, such as, uh, your, your parents. Yeah. Okay. Now, are there any misconceptions that you have, um, maybe had to deal with, um, immigrating to a new country? Uh, and, and once again, I guess I can fall back to the fact that since coming in so young and you see, you know, and embracing, uh, and, and seeing yourself more as a, uh, as a Canadian, um, that that may not be the case for you, but um, if 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 it is, um, can you talk a bit about that? Has there been any times where your Canadianness has been has been questioned? Oh yes, um, since I'm in high school, when I was like around in grade nine and then eight, like when I was a bit younger than I was now. I had like a hard accent compared to the other Canadian or like other students in my school. Mm-hmm. So whenever I try to talk to people, they sometimes are like, "Oh, what are you saying? Like, um, can you please re say like reword that again? Can you say that again?" So like it's sort of like it put me up on like a pressure on me where it's like I I shouldn't talk unless I'm spoken to. Like I can't just be friendly, be like, "Hi, what's up?" and stuff because I'm scared of like my accent coming out. Um, harshly around people. Mm, mm. Now, now I think that's a that's a very good point um, uh, that that you bring up because quite often our ability to speak, uh, especially when it comes to accents, our ability to speak or blend in is often uh, it's a marker of of belonging. So mm-hmm. uh, that that's that's I think a very interesting point for you to bring up right there. Um, how long did it take you to, to learn English? Cause as I'm listening to you talk, uh, I hear very little, if any, um, any accent at all. Well, uh, I started school from grade one. So I basically, uh, learned, adapted to the language early. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, you know, like you can't, uh, when you speak in my language, if you sp- like, when I speak in my language, I also have an accent to my parents too, because mm-hmm. I sound more Canadianish than I do to Rohingyanish to them. So mm. it's like it's either how who I'm talking to that like my accent is either out or not. Hmm. So it kind of puts you in between both groups to a degree, mm-hmm. right? 
um, because the, the Canadian exposure, it affects your, your mother tongue accent and, yeah. and vice versa. Yeah. Uh, would you consider yourself uh, an, an activist? Um, yes, I try to stand up for um, people's rights. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, if, uh, for, if I wasn't an activist, like an activism person, mm-hmm. I wouldn't be like, what is it, being part of the I Am Rohingya Play, which raises awareness and then um, like tries to help people aware, um, know, know about the genocide that's happening around um, the world, right? right? So if I wasn't an activist, I wouldn't have taken a part in the play. I wouldn't have like spoken about it, like in many screenings that we do. And I wouldn't have like, uh, what is, I wouldn't be fighting for people's freedoms if I was not an activist. So I consider myself as an activist. Mm. And, and rightly so, rightly so. Um, can you talk about your, um, as far as your activism is concerned, do you, do you, are you an activist out of a sense of, uh, is, it, is it your own personal history uh, that drives you to, to stand up for others? Uh, is it connected to those who are still in the the refugee camps, those who are displaced internally? Uh, what's the what's the underlying motivation for your activism right now? Uh, the motivation is that it is for like um, what is the family that I have back home, and it's also the um, thinking like um, I always think like how can the world be so blind? Mm. Like. Whenever I think that, like, it urges me to be, like, step up and then open the blinds and then let people see uh, to the uh, harsh uh, mirror that's, like, in front of them. Mm. Uh, do you feel, and, and I mentioned this uh, in the opening, that the United States um, House of Representatives have finally they passed a resolution recognizing uh, the atrocities as a genocide, Um and this just happened a few months, well, I think, yeah, two months ago. Uh, do you feel that this is something that is kind of shared uh, globally, that there's kind of like, you know, people are just with their eyes closed as it relates to uh, the Rohingya? About the United States? No, 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 not about the United States, but just uh, globally, just the, all the nations in the world, uh, at least for those who consider themselves to be champions of of human rights, uh, consider themselves to be modern and, and you know, and protecting human liberties and, and all of that uh, type of uh, great thing. Do you feel like the world, for the, for the most part, has, you know, has kind of turned a blind eye to the atrocities that have taken place uh, to the Rohingya? I feel like the blinds that the blinds that was put in the world's eyes is slow, slowly becoming to be a bit of opened mm-hmm. because, like, uh, before no one no one really knew like who the Rohingyans were like what like what what in the world was that so but like as soon as uh, what is it uh, um, as soon as uh, uh, individuals start to step up like Rohingya individuals started to step up and then uh, tell the world of like who the Rohingyans are, like, um, there is a genocide um, happening. It's not just ethnic cleansing. It's like an actual genocide that is going to happen and is happening. Uh, So it's like, what is it? Um, I don't think the world is completely being blind to it right now, but, like, 
uh, we need more people to step up and like fully open the blinds instead of halfway because it, um, whatever you see through the blind is not the full story, right? You have to open the full blind and, and look at the whole story completely. Okay, can you tell us a bit about um, the play? You said you know you act in a play which depicts the uh, the ge- the genocide of the Rohingya. Uh, is has that been a difficult task for you to uh, to engage in? Um, I believe that like every single cast member that is a part of the play, it was a really difficult task for them and also the, the director too because most of the stories are like every single scene, every single minute of the play is based on true events that has happened to either the um, cast of the cast members or their parents or their family relatives. So like um, since the younger cast members, it's like a, a bit more pressure on them because they want to portray the the play as in like how it actually happened. So like the true emotions of how like the parents felt when they went through it. And they want to make sure everything is precise and true and accurate of what their parents were telling them, right? Mm-hmm. Of the actual um, experiences. And the older kids who has experienced all these um, events, like it was easier for them, but at the same time, it was hard too because they have to relive the harrowing experiences while they're like rehearsing and then practicing and performing um, all those scenes. Mm-hmm. I can uh, certainly um, understand that. Um, just just thinking about how how that would be a real difficult task um, to have to relive. Uh, yeah, to relive those things. Um, how how has the play been received uh, when when you put this in front of people who I imagine are not aware of the uh, of this genocide uh, that this may be their first experience? Um, how was it received by people by by the audience? Um, do you get a chance to talk to folks afterwards and uh, and 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 see their reactions? I actually we have so like back in 2016 when we first did our grand opening of our um, life performance mm-hmm. when uh, like people when we invited a bunch of people we actually like um, the, the director and the cast member everyone thought like oh it's not gonna be that um, what is it hyped up it's no one is gonna come only like probably 50 or so people will come but the actual truth was the whole stadium was filled and there was even extra like um, extra people who didn't have any seats there. So like after uh, after the whole um, show ended, everybody was like giving us standing ovations, like could completely see the true emotions in their eyes, where there's like, oh, I haven't, I never knew that. I'm glad I know who the Rohingyas are now. I want to help them. You could see the true emotions in their faces. Like I've talked to many people who like, didn't know who Rohingyas were before, and then when uh, they came to see the performance or when they saw advertisements and all that, they're like, oh, now I know who they are, and then they're like have the heart and they have like the ambition to help the Rohingya people now. Mm. So as a, as, as a young uh, Rohingya leader, um, mm-hmm. do you, are your future plans, what you see for your life um, moving forward, how much of that is tied to what is behind you, your past, your parents' past, um, you know, and so on? For me, like in my future, I want like, the career that I want in my life has something to do with my past because when I was little, I've lost a very close friend of mine. Mm-hmm. Like, because uh, it was like, what is it? There was a um, demonstration, kind of like a, um, uh, it's it's something where like um, 
the Rohingya people didn't eat and then drink for weeks because they were like uh, rallying against the military people. Like, why are you treating us like this? So like suddenly the military people like, just went out on a rampage back home and then they like started shooting people because they were not eating. But the thing is, we were not eating for a good cause. Uh, so like one of them shot my uh, really really close friend. Uh, like my, the bullet was like gonna come towards me but the thing is my friend just like since she was older she has the in, uh, instinct oh my uh, my friend is younger than me i have to protect her mm -hmm. so uh she like she pushed me out of the way and then uh the bullet the bullet like um hit her like close to where the chest heart area was and then like it, it, it kept a, like a really dark scar in my head like in my um in my memories now right mm -hmm. so like from that day on, I'm just like, oh, I need to become a doctor, like a heart surgeon, like a cardiac surgeon, or something that's in the medical field to pay her back. Like, be like, I'm, you helped me, I'm going to help others for your sake. Mm. Mm. Has your own experience and your your family's, you, you know, uh, being a Rohingya, how has that experience translated into... Uh, or transferred to as far as your awareness of oppression um, and injustice globally and 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 dare I say even in Canada um, has it heightened your awareness of of suffering and oppression in general? Um, suffering and depression is something that everyone has in their life, and then everyone will have in the future too. Like. For example, not only the Rohingyans, there's Syrians, there's um, people in uh, other underdeveloped countries that are like suffering. But the thing is, um, their suffering is really different from the developed countries suffering. Like in, uh, the, um, in the underdeveloped countries suffering is where it's like uh, they're dying through sickness. I mean, they have, they're losing their families. They're like... Um, they're suffering for something that we in the developed country people take granted for. Mm. Mm. But like in uh, in um, in the developed country, it's like oh, I want that. Um, some of what I personally think is some of the sufferings are like it's not being successful of how far they want to be. Mm. So the, those the the, the um the idea of not really attaining individual goals is not it's not about having freedom uh, or having opportunity um or having just the basics you know uh food clothing and shelter it becomes more about i didn't get this particular job or i didn't go to this school i didn't you know those individual things is is that what you're saying yeah close to that line but there's also like people in the developed countries who are like actually suffering cuz they need help yeah. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you bringing up the that, that there is a, a distinct uh, difference in uh, between uh, suffering and oppression and developed versus uh, underdeveloped uh, countries. I think that's that's something to really keep in mind. Uh, so you plan to go into uh, the medical field? Yes, hopefully. OK. okay. All right. But uh, but as of as of now, you uh, continue to act uh, in the play. Uh, is is this play going to be? Uh, is is there a performance coming up uh, soon? And is it just in Canada? Uh, no, it's actually not just in Canada. Like 
obviously it's not just in Canada because the cast members are in Canada, but the um, the play, the whole backstory, like everything of the play has to be known worldwide, right? So instead of doing, uh, our director had a, um, a backup plan where it's like, let's make it into a documentary. So ah. we we made our play actually into a documentary and we screened it around many places. Um, it's an award-winning uh, sc- uh, documentary actually. Like we uh, screened it in Japan, we screened it in Tokyo, um, many other places like New Brunswick, everywhere. Okay. All right. That, that's awesome. I, I wasn't aware that it had been turned into a documentary. Okay. Now, what's, what's, what's the name of the uh, documentary? It's also called I Am a Rohingya. Okay. All right. Well, that is, uh, that's wonderful. I'm going to, I'm going to look for it. Um, before we, before we let you go, I uh, want to ask you if there is any, because you mentioned earlier on about the, uh, just kind of the mindset uh, of, of the Rohingya and about them not being, about not complaining, um, you know, uh, under uh, duress, under hardship. Is there anything that um, from that experience and from the, from what you have seen, has that impacted your own attitude uh, and, and the way you see the world? Have you adopted that same type of uh, resilience? Is that a part of, of who you are as well? Uh, yes, like many of the... Uh, many of the events that has occurred has impacted me a lot because it made me more. People call me kiddish, like childish, because I'm a really childish person. Like I didn't used to care what is what was going on. Like I just was my own self. Like it's uh, I didn't take in account of like what's happening around the world. But like as soon as um, my parents and like my family, relatives, everyone started getting calls from back home saying we're suffering here, we're dying, we need your help, please. Like do anything you can like from like it hit me hard from that i'm be like what what have i been like what have i been doing why like why wasn't i aware of everything that was around me like i could have clearly seen it if i like kept my eyes open but now i keep my mind open more now and then like try to think outside my bubble be like oh um I'm more ambitious and curious now. Like, I try to, um, I don't know how to word my personality, but it's like, it's, I don't know, like, if you ask me, like, if you, uh, if you um, ask me what I would tell myself when I was younger, I'll be like, um, just open your eyes. Mm. Mm. And you feel like your eyes have been open now. Yeah, it's like it has been open, and I know, like, the harsh reality of the world. Like, nothing stays forever. Hmm. Okay. Well, I, I thank you so much. And if you would, uh, before we go, if you would just repeat the name of that documentary for the uh, Radio Islam family, for the listeners uh, that might want to look it up as well. What's the name of that documentary again? The documentary is called I Am Rohingya by Yusuf Zain. Okay. Well, uh, Sister Roma, it has been a pleasure talking to you, and we thank you for the time and pray for your continued success and well-being. Thank you so much. All right. As-salamu alaykum. We thank you for joining us. We remind you to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Radio Islam USA. And we thank our sponsors, the Cobb Foundation. I'm your host and producer, Tariq Alameen. Our executive producer is Abdul Malik Mujahid. We remind you that the views expressed by the host and or guests are not to be taken as a representation of Sound Vision Foundation. 
Now, before we leave, because we normally...